And now you know why I'm preaching this morning. So, <laughs> no, he's already been here, right? So that's a little while ago. But welcome. My name is Tim Porter. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Community. It's good to be in the room with you all. And we are in the midst of, right, a uh, Midwest winter where it shows, it proves that those who are in the room on Sunday morning are braver than the wiser ones who are online. So uh, we both have bonus points today for bravery if you're here, wisdom if you stayed home and are watching us online. No, we, uh, we want us to all be together and uh, hopefully you'll be with us all next week. Um, we are starting a series called Why Do I Do What I Do? Or subtitle, Why Does Tim Prince Do What Tim Prince Does? Uh, we will try to learn that as we go through. Uh, this series. Now, this is a really, really, really important series. I don't say that a lot, but this is a really, really, really important series because this gets to the core of what we are like as human beings and what God wants to do with us or in us and how he uh, intends to do it. Uh, parents, you at all, at some point in time have asked the all-important question to one of your children, probably all of your children at some point in time, in response to something you don't know why they did what they did, you will ask them when they hit their sibling or they make a wonderful art uh, masterpiece on the wall with crayons that won't come off, you will ask them at some point in time, why did you do that? And they will tell you, Exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Uh, I've asked that enough times to our boys over the years that it started to finally dawn on me, maybe they really don't know. And I'm expecting a little too much. Uh, maybe it's my job as a parent, it's our job as parents to help them understand why they do what they do as I start to understand more and more why I do what I do. Now, of course, it doesn't just end as we are young. There are still times in my life when I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know if you're familiar with something like this, but my wife comes into the kitchen and just happens to say something at the wrong time in my ears, the wrong time with maybe the wrong tone that I don't want to hear and I've been tired, I'm under stress, I just want to relax and all that kind of stuff and I make a sharp comment to her. I go back, I apologize, I ask for forgiveness because I want to treat her and speak with her with gentleness at all times as I possibly can. But I can say, I don't know why I said that in that way. Will you please forgive me and I'll try to figure it out because I want to change. Because I want to change. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't just talk about who God is, which it does from beginning to end. God is also very deeply interested in us understanding ourselves. There's this relationship as we follow Jesus that the more that we understand who God is, the more we know him, know his heart, what he thinks, what he does, how he acts, we also get to know ourselves. And the more we know ourselves, we can understand God more. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And God is deeply interested in this because he wants us to understand ourselves because he, he knows that we, we can only change in as much as we know ourselves. Self-awareness helps us with change. You need to know yourself to lead yourself. A lack of self-awareness, a lack of how we work as human beings will keep us stunted in our growth in following Jesus. One of the promises the Bible gives us is that if we understand who God is and we have a relationship with him that's growing and vital and we start to understand ourselves 
and how God changes us. Some of the habits that we might have that we've wrestled with for a really long time can start to break free from. So this is a really, really important series. It has to do with change. And we have, we have as human beings a responsibility in our change to know both God and how he changes us. One of the important statements that we make around here, and, it's, and it goes, I wanna say it at the beginning, is that God loves you exactly where you are, who you are, right here, right now, and that's true. And God loves you so much that he will not leave you exactly as you are, right here, right now. He desires to change you. His goal is to help you become more like Jesus, no matter what, until we see him face to face. To do that, we wanna partner with God to know why we do what we do. Today we're gonna be talking about the heart. We're gonna be talking about the heart, and I've got four movements in my sermon. The heart, that it's our core. The heart, that it's our core. The heart is complex. The heart is deceiving and the heart is the dwelling place of Jesus. The heart is our core, the heart is complex, it's deceiving, and it's the home, the dwelling place of Jesus. Now to do that, I'm gonna walk through four, we're gonna read four passages from scripture, and typically if you're around here for some time, you start to pick up that we tend to like to take a chunk of scripture and just sort of walk our way through it and apply it uh, to our lives. Um, We're not gonna do that today because um, the Bible doesn't have like one spot in the Bible where it talks everything about the heart, but it's a theme that runs all the way through scripture about the matter of the heart. And so we're gonna pick up some really key verses to look at this theme that runs through the Bible. The passages are gonna be on the, uh, up above um, here on the screens and um, I recommend you write them down so you can go back and look at them as well. But I'm gonna look at Proverbs and then Jeremiah and Ephesians and they'll be on the screen above just as we unpack this theme together. So the first one is from Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 20, verse five. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. From Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And then lastly, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. This is a prayer by Paul, the apostle, the author. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Now, when you start thinking about why do I do what I do, maybe you start thinking about different personality tests that we take as human beings, and they are very, very helpful. Uh, Myers-Briggs is a, uh, a personality profile uh, assessment that my wife and I always recommend um, in our premarital counseling that a, a fiancé and uh, fiancé that a, a married couple to be would uh, take uh, because it's been so helpful for us. It's been really helpful for my wife and I to understand our different personalities and also our preferences. I tend to be somebody who wants to jump in right away, figure it out, and then move on. My wife wants to have it all planned out before we make a move on something. And as you can see, that would lead to tension in our lives. Now, it's important to know what our preferences are because we can adapt in those. And so strength finders, um, uh, DISC, uh, motivational abilities, um, all these kinds of different personality profiles are helpful for us. I'm an Enneagram 5, married to an Enneagram 1, if you care about that kind of stuff. It's helpful. It gives us a little different aspect on ourselves and our personalities. But what I want to do for this series is sort of take those personality profile kind of things and motivated really and sort of set those aside because we want to go deeper. We want to go deeper into the human person. Those give us certain glimpses of ourselves. We want to go deeper into that. We want to go into the heart. We want to go into the heart. And one way we can answer the question, why do I do what I do, in a simple sentence, because my heart wants to do it. Why do I do what I do? Because my heart wants to do it but it's far more complex than that. And it is showing that at the core of us as human beings is this unseen, immaterial, spiritual side of us called the heart. Not our physical heart that's pumping right now, but something that's unseen, our inner person, the Bible calls the heart. To start with, we wanna begin in Proverbs 4.23. This is a, a talk that the father, that a father is having to his son. He's passing on the most important wisdom uh, from his generation and knowing who God is unto his son so that he would be able to prosper and flourish as a human being. And at the core of this, he, core of this teaching, he writes the, or tells his son this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Now, parents, you've had conversations with your children and your growing children at some point in time about really important matters. Have we had the conversation with them about the most important thing that you can do as a human being is be vigilant with your own heart? Vigilance. We tend to be vigilant as human beings when we're entering into an area that's uncharted for us or scary or risky. We become vigilant because we see a threat on the horizon. I was reminded of this uh, the last, at the beginning of this year. I just had some uh, surgery uh, to correct an injury on January 4th. And in one sense, my surgeon's done this kind of surgery about a thousand times, but it was, you know, I don't go into surgery very often, thank God. Uh, so I was extremely vigilant. Uh, I was extremely vigilant in a lot of different ways. I was taking screenshots of our network provider's website to make sure that our doctor was a network because I don't want to have to pay extra. I don't want to be able to prove if they come back, well, the doctor wasn't network. Oh, I got a screenshot on this date so I can prove it. Vigilance, okay? They're not going to do that, but vigilance. 
um, checking in on what kind of soap do I need to use, how often do I need to use it, uh, use it before the surgery. I'm double checking because the pamphlet that they give me for pre-operating descri uh, description or uh, uh, directions says, you know, don't drink or eat anything after midnight the day before your surgery, but then the nurse on the phone is saying, well, you can have something, you can have something to drink by up until 6 a.m. of the day of your surgery. Are you sure? Are you really, really sure that I can do that? Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, like, I want to make sure. And then after, post-op, okay, here's the best way to handle my post-op because I don't want to have to go through surgery again. One, I don't want to pay for it. One, I don't have to go through the hassle of it. I want this to be fixed, right? Vigilance. Do you treat your heart that way? Neither do I. The Bible's telling us to treat our hearts with great vigilance, to pay attention to it, to know it as much as we can as a human being, inside and out, with the help of the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, other people, and ourselves paying attention to it. Why? Because from it flows the springs of life, it says. Now, what's interesting about the Bible is that the Bible, when it's talking about our heart, uses a metaphor of water a great deal. We'll see it twice today. From it flow the springs of life. What does that mean? As a metaphor, what it's letting us know that our lives, our choices, everything about us is directed and determined from our hearts. Did you know that about you? See, we tend to think that other people make us do things or our circumstances make us do things and we, can't, we don't have control over other people. We don't have control over our circumstances. But the Bible's trying to say is that you have a responsibility. You have somewhat in, under the, the leadership and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you have some kind of control on how you respond in your circumstances. And how you respond comes from your heart. And that's why it's so important to be vigilant to guard our heart. This is one of the reasons, I'm not gonna pick on this phrase a lot, but in our culture we say, you know, the, the most important thing that you can do is to follow your heart, right? You got all this complex things, you gotta make a really tough decision. We were just watching Goodwill Hunting as a family the other night. Vulgar movie, but really good movie, so pay attention. One of the phrases was, just do what your heart tells you to do. I'm going to pick on that phrase a lot because there's actually something really true about that. You will always do what your heart wants you to do. Always. And that's why we have to pay attention to it. We have to pay attention to your heart. Jesus teaches this. Matthew 7, uh, 15, sorry, Matthew 15, 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into a mouth passes into the stomach and expelled? Now, just a little context before I read on. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders um, were teaching the Jewish people to make sure if you go into the marketplace and you come out of the marketplace, you need to wash your hands and make sure that you are clean before you eat a meal. Now, this didn't have to do with bacteria or sanitary reasons so much as it did about whether or not you were ceremonial unclean because when you're going as a Jewish person into the marketplace, you might touch something another Gentile touched and you don't know what they touched and they might make you unclean. And so Jesus is being asked, so why is it that uh, your disciples don't wash their hands before a meal? Jesus is like, well, because it doesn't do any good. Again, not thinking sanitarily, thinking religiously, ritually. And so he says, do you not see that whatever goes in the mouth passes in the stomach and expel? We don't have to elaborate on that. <laughs> but what comes out of the mouth, here's what Jesus is going at, what comes out of the mouth? It proceeds from the heart. 
It defiles, that's what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone whatsoever. I added the whatsoever. See, again, we tend to think about it's our circumstances that make us do things. We say these phrases, you make me so mad. You are responding with anger over what somebody else did. Now, some of you have been around long enough that you already know what I'm going to do, so don't ruin it for those people who don't know what I'm going to do right now. But I'm going to ask you a question. You know, if I shake this, why does water come out? Some of you are thinking, well, because you're shaking the water bottle. Yes. But if I ask the question, why does water come out? Because there's water in the bottle. Our circumstances bring out what's in our hearts already there. This is the important thing about understanding and guarding and being vigilant with our heart. Because we do what we do because what we want what we want in our heart. Now, this is why it calls for vigilance and why we need one another to help us to know our hearts and to keep watching over our hearts. And it's not only because we do with our heart, we live from our hearts, it's also because our hearts are wonderfully, beautifully complex. So I'm gonna try to like add some simplicity. I'm even gonna create a new word, plincipity. <laughs> um, I'm gonna add some, try to add some simplicity to this, but as I add the simplicity, I just wanna be really, really careful that our hearts are wonderfully, beautifully complex. The Bible uses, again, this metaphor of water. The purpose in a man's heart is, is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I was first introduced to this understanding of a heart as deep water when I was sitting across the table at lunch with the campus pastor at the school my wife and I were attending when we first started dating. And this campus pastor, he knew me, he was sort of a mentor to me, he knew my wife really well as well, cared deeply about her, and he knew that we were dating. And he didn't do what I would do if I were dating my wife, like, if you hurt her, I'll kill you, but he didn't do that. He was more inspiring than threatening. And he said, just so you know, DJ is like deep waters, like deep waters. And what he's trying to get me to think and approach my wife and loving her is that to draw her out, to draw her out. Now what he said about my wife is true for every human being. We all have hearts and our hearts are like deep waters. I don't know that much about oceanography and the currents and the climates and all that kind of stuff and how they all work together, but I did a little bit of research on this last week and there's such a thing as surface currents and deep ocean currents, and they operate differently. And you can be on the surface current and going through and on a ship, but there's all kinds of other things going down underneath. And oftentimes we approach other people just looking at the surface and making assessments, but we're only seeing the surface, cur the surface currents. An example of this is a guy named Eli who was a priest in uh, the Old Testament and he saw a young woman named Hannah. She was, she was mumbling and she was praying. She was praying, but she, Eli thought that she was drunk. We read this in 1 Samuel 1. 
As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was speaking, though, in her heart. Your heart speaks. You can speak to your heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. And if you read on, it says he, he thought she was drunk because he just saw her lips moving. He was looking at the surface, the surface current, but there was deeper things going on in her, unseen things. The Lord says to the people of Israel, in Isaiah, he talks about how they're coming to him in all the different right religious ways, ritualistic kinds of ways. They're offering sacrifices, they're practicing Sabbath, they're doing all this stuff in the Old Testament. And if you look at them at the surface, at the surface current, you really think, oh yeah, they're really godly. But the Lord says this, Isaiah 29, this people, they draw near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. Now our hearts are complex and deep, or are deep, not just because you know, they're, they're unseen, but our hearts are deep because they're, they're wonderfully and beautifully complex. And this is where I wanna ask you to uh, take sort of how we describe ourselves as moderns and start to reframe it according to how the Bible talks about us because it's gonna be really helpful and it's true. What I mean by that is, is, is this, like we tend to think about how, um, you know, I'm in my, uh, we think, tend to think about our thoughts always being in our head and then our emotions are in our hearts. And we'll use phrases like this, like, well, I believe it in my head, but I don't really believe it in my heart yet. I need to get it down into my heart, right? We're saying something true, but we, we're using it, we're describing things in a little bit different way than what the Bible would describe it. Because the Bible puts thoughts, emotions, decisions, deep desires, all within the heart. The heart is wonderfully, beautifully dynamic and complex. Let me show you. Matthew 15, 19, we've already read this sentence here, but our hearts have thoughts. This is what Jesus says. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. So we tend to think we, our thoughts are in our mind. The Bible's saying, no, out of the heart, this immaterial part of us, come our thoughts. A more famous one is Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The thoughts that are in my heart as you're searching through my heart. Our hearts have emotions. Some of you guys right now are like, I don't have any emotions. Yes, you do. Oh, you're a sociopath. <laughs> you're made in God's image. Yes, you do. Maybe nobody's just helped you connect the dots. But our hearts have emotions and strong desires. Notice how Jesus talks in John 14. He's just told the disciples that he's leaving. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, troubled, concerned, emotion. Neither let them be afraid, emotion. Our hearts are, have thoughts and our hearts have emotions. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. So our hearts are dynamic in that they have thoughts in them and our hearts have emotions to them. Our, our hearts are also deeply desiring, deeply desiring. The Bible talks about desiring. It'll use the word desires, but it'll also use other metaphors like treasuring or worshiping. And those are all sort of talking about the same function of our hearts. Jesus talks this way in Matthew 6. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. See, our hearts are treasuring and our hearts are constantly looking for things to treasure. And we have this choice of, are we going to treasure the things where moth and rust destroy? Or are we going to treasure what is in heaven, who is God? And will we set our treasure on God? Because wherever you set your treasure, your heart will follow again. We use the phrase, just follow your heart. The Bible's saying, yeah, that's like saying breathe with your lungs. You're never not going to go the direction of what your heart treasures. You're always going to go the direction of your heart treasures. The trick isn't follow your heart. The trick is where are you setting your treasure with your heart? Lastly, our hearts make choices. Jesus is teaching about um, forgiveness and mercy and the, and, and the importance of it. In this parable, he's talking about somebody who does not forgive. It's the parable of what's called the unmerciful servant. And Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 18:35. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice that we make. It's a decision not to hold somebody punish somebody for what they've done to us. And Jesus is saying that happens in the heart. You forgive from your heart. You make a decision to forgive somebody from your heart. The Apostle Paul was leading a generosity initiative in the first century where he was hoping that uh, the Jerusalem church had gone through famine and they were really struggling financially and he was trying to um, talk to all these other Gentile churches that he had planted and raise funds from them to give to the Jerusalem church and his hope and his desire would be that Jesus would be glorified because the church um, is, is unified. You've got Gentiles and Jews caring for one another when the rest of the world is Jews and Gentiles are fighting against one another. And the Apostle Paul is in, you know, encouraging one of the churches, the church in Corinth, to give to this. And he says this about, about giving and generosity. He says, everyone, every, each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, that's a function of the heart to make a choice, to decide, to choose to do something. Okay? So you and I as human beings, we have this heart and our hearts are beautifully, wonderfully dynamic and they're constantly moving around and working together. So our thinking, our desiring, our emotions, our decisions, all of those things are constantly moving in our hearts. It is a wonderful complexity and a beauty when it's operating really, really well. Just to give you a little example of what this can look like, again, I'm just trying to simplify something that's really complex, just to try to get a little handle on it, okay? 
2019, I got results back from, our, from an annual physical and um, the results were not looking good. I was significantly overweight and the blood work came back. My cholesterol was high and trending in a, in a bad direction. Uh, blood sugar levels were high and trending in a bad direction. High blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. Everything uh, was going in the wrong direction. And I had a little bit of a God-designed, God-inspired wake-up call. I wanted to steward, in response to this, I really wanted to steward my body well that God gave to me. Um, you know, Pat Stream, our counseling pastor here, says often, well, at least you used to, right? You can't out-exercise a bad diet. I was trying to prove him wrong. <laughs> and he was right. You were right. I, there's this new desire that formed in me. I wanted to be as healthy as I possibly could be. And I needed to change. So that new desire to steward my body in a way that honored God, because he gave it to me and to be around as long as I can for my family and for ministry. So that created, that desire created new decisions in me. I wanted to go and talk to uh, people who knew more about nutrition. I needed to do something that I, different than what I was doing before. I needed to heal my body. I needed to be able to lose weight and lose it well and safely. I like how stuff, so I talked to people who knew about nutrition um, and how to do that, uh, working out, I was stuck with that. Um, and basically I cut out all sugar, I started to do intermittent fasting, um, and I changed my diet completely, completely. And I started to make changes, I started to see success. So I had a desire, to steward my body in a way that honored God, I started to make decisions and think differently about food. Instead of thinking of food as just something like I just get to enjoy and I just, oh, that sounds good, I'll eat that in whatever quantity I want to eat and I'll just enjoy it. Instead of seeing food as more comfort or pleasure, I started to ask questions about food. What's this gonna do to my body? How's, it gonna, how's my body gonna respond? How's this gonna heal my body? How's this gonna help my body? How's this gonna give fuel to my body? Along with, does it taste good? And then I started to see success and my emotions started to, uh, I started to respond emotionally to uh, what I felt like was going on. Was I succeeding? If I started to drop weight and people started to notice, hey, you're dropping weight, you're looking really good. Ah, oh, man, I was like happy, I was happy. Get off the scale, I was happy. Get off the scale and I stalled or something like that, I was disappointed, sad. It was a complex interaction in my heart. All started with a desire, a new desire to do something different. And that was going on in the midst of all kinds of other desires that I have and all different kinds of emotions, and all other kinds of thoughts that I had. So I'm just trying to simplify it because we are wonderfully, beautifully complex. And we, it requires wisdom and understanding through the scriptures, through asking questions, through really paying attention to people and ourselves to draw out what's going on in our hearts. Why Christ-centered community is so important. Because I can't do it on my own. One little wrinkle to all of this is that our hearts are not only our core, not only complex, they are also deceiving. Jeremiah says this, we've already read it, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, 
who can understand it. What that means is like the whole thing of it, the whole part, all of our hearts are desperately sick and deceiving. Our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, our actions, we're all deceived, are all deceived and all sick. What this means, and we'll flesh this out more in the rest of this series in the coming weeks, but I can desire the wrong things, things where rust and moth takes away, or I can desire good things way too much, and that shapes then how I live. Thoughts, my thoughts, do you know that the person who speaks the most to you is you? And what that means is that the person that lies to you the most is actually you. How many of us said that we we're gonna start a new weightlifting program after the first of the year? And justified eating something on New Year's because of it and haven't done it yet, knowing full well that we weren't gonna do it, but telling ourselves we were. Our thoughts, we, we deceive ourselves. Our emotions, we can either become, just pull back and shut down our emotions or we can live by them and be overcome by them our hearts are desperately wicked, deceived. For example, like the positive thing from my dietary changes, I lost 50 pounds, God be praised, and a year later after I did all this stuff, all my blood work came back really, really good. But as I started to experience success, I'd go to the gym. And I'd see other people who were like, man, you look about the same you did like last year. You should, you should come talk to me. I'll tell you how to really change. Pride started to grow in me. No one, my heart didn't ask me for permission to start being prideful about other people when I started to look down on them when they weren't making the strides and successes that I thought that they could because I did. When I started to get encouragement from other people, it's like, oh, you look really good. It looks like you're losing weight. I am, thank you. I've been working really hard. Well, you're doing a great job. Uh, a desire to try to people please started to grow in me. My heart didn't ask me permission to do that. There were times when I started to stall and I wasn't actually gaining as much or losing as much weight and doing what I wanted to do. And so instead of actually sticking with the program and being wise with it, I started to punish my body. I'll work out longer, faster. I'll restrict my food even more. I was on my way to an eating disorder. My heart never asked permission once to do that because my heart is deceived, deceiving constantly looking for things to live for other than God. And so is yours. We have to be vigilant. We'll talk about how to be vigilant. And one last thing. This is the beauty of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Is that our heart is not just our core, it's not just complex, it's not just deceiving. It's also Jesus' dwelling place. Just the verses from, that we read from Ephesians 3. That Christ, Paul is praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and guarded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ. Jesus loves you and me so much. And he cares about you and me so much. He cares about changing us so much that he takes up residence in the very core of the core of who you are. 
Jesus becomes closer to you than you. And Paul's praying here that we would know that Jesus, as he's dwelling in our hearts, would root us and ground us in his love for us because Paul knows that what starts to put our heart back right, what starts to reorder our hearts when they get disordered, and they do that moment by moment, is the deep, pervasive, real, present, experiential love of Jesus. Your heart is the very dwelling place of the living God. Amazing, amazing. So as we begin this series, I wanna ask you to do two things. I wanna ask you to pay attention. Start paying attention to your own heart. It's easy to look at other people's behavior and how other people are doing different things and all that kind of stuff. Just start paying attention to your own heart. And to do that, I wanna ask you to to pray something. From Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God. Test my heart. God will answer that prayer. He will start to show you your heart. But the other prayer that I want you to pray is that you would pray that Jesus, as a follower of Jesus who dwells in your heart, that he would ground you in his love for you in your heart. You would speak tenderly to your heart truth about his love for you and care for you. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna pray for those two things for us. Merciful Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy your steadfast love. Jesus, thank you for your grace where you take up residence in our hearts, the very core, the very core of who we are. You live there when we give our lives to you. And I ask, Spirit, Holy Spirit, that as Jesus is in our hearts, that you would root us and ground us and establish us and the love of Jesus for us. As you show us our hearts, as you reveal them to us, reveal your love as well. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.